From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh. Good evening, everybody. This is The Dice Men Cometh, episode 281 on this, the 24th of October 2019. I am the titular Leon, here as I always am with my dice friend, Mr. Mark. With the what, Leon? Titular. <laughs> Google it. I know, I know what it means. Yes. Anyway, thanks for throwing off my flu. Uh, so this is a show all about board games, card games, role-playing games, anything you can play on or around a table. And this evening we're going to be talking about... Well, first we're going to ho- give you a whole lot of interviews from PAX, which we came back through not that long ago. That's right. And then we have a special friend in the studio who we've mentioned a few times, especially of late, because he's been down here playing stuff with us as well as on the mainland, because he's a traveller and he gets about. He does. So welcome... Yes. Aos. Greetings. Our friend on the show. Our friend Aos James, who we met many years ago at BorderCon, and then for every year since at BorderCon and now a few other places, he finally made it down to Tasmania for the second time in a, in a short period of time. You've been travelling around Australia, you've been playing games, you've been at PAX, yeah. So it's great. We're going to talk to you about your PAX experience. We're going to talk to you about your travelling gamer experience. We can listen to some interviews. Yes. I reckon that's about going to be a show. What do you reckon? Yeah, so we can ask Aos what it's like to sleep in my house. Because <laughs> he's the only other person in this radio studio that has done that other than me before, as far as I know. There you go. Well, in that case, <laughs> we've got so much to get through. Let us throw to a track. Indeed. We'll come back and... Uh, Talk about games. And before we forget... Indeed, this is very important. We have a new sponsor. We certainly do. LFG Australia. Yes, one of our favourites. Are looking for games. They host, host a whole bunch of board game events throughout Australia. They have a retail presence. They have a physical uh, presence. Uh, when I say a retail presence, an online presence, a physical presence. They host game nights. We're going to tell you more about them during the show. They are the whole thing. That's right. We'll come back in a minute and talk more about a whole bunch of stuff. You're with the Dice Men Come With Edge Radio, 99.3 FM. Hey, it's Bo. Board games are cool, and you should listen to the Dice Men Cometh. Yeah. Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh. That was Colin Hay with How Long Will It Last? And the answer there, Colin, is normally between 40 and 50 minutes. That's <laughs> depending on how I edit the show. Uh, and also, this week, got to get used to this, proudly brought to you by Looking For Games Australia, or LFG, if you will. And we, Leon, we yes. are very excited, mm-hmm. particularly myself and Garth, mm-hmm. Um, to be going to LFG Essen Unplugged in Canberra mm-hmm. on the 22nd to the 24th of November, which is three days yes. of new release board games. Charles and his team are at Essen right now. In fact, I got a message from good friend of the show, Richard, a little earlier today to yeah. say the doors at Essen open yep. the same time that your show starts. So, obviously, we're going to be on the main loudspeaker in the main hall. Guten, guten Tag, Essen. Yes. Gets. Yes, hello and all that good stuff. Um, I won't be going there, sadly. As I just said to the lads, I will be uh, celebrating my seventh year wedding anniversary at the same time. I mean, we could have done it in Canberra playing some Euro games, but I think the wife would probably rather just <laughs> go out for dinner and get a big bottle of wine, probably. Anyway, make sure you check out uh, LFG. Yes. Hash, uh, no, lfg-aus.com.au. Yeah. Yes, we will L- get much better at this right. over the coming LFG weeks. lfg-oz.com.au. You can see all the events they have during the year. You might remember Leon's trip to LFG in Sydney this yeah. year. We um, recorded a whole bunch of interviews. Now, 
segueing beautifully to mm. a series of interviews, Leon, that you and I recorded at PAX last weekend. Indeed. Or the weekend before. It seems like it was a while ago. This is our second show in a row talking about PAX, and I think we'll even have some left over for next week. As we do. Lovely. Let's go to the interviews. Here's me. So here I am at PAX with one of the regulars. He's putting out great quality games. Alan Cheshire from Sentinel Games. Alan, what are you up to this year? Uh, this year I'm here with uh, my new game, Forge of Eden, at the PAX Collaboratory. Uh, we just had our first couple of game sessions out there, which went great. So um, I made a couple of new boards and a new box. Kind of stayed up till like three o'clock before I got my <laughs> flight. Making this box, it's way too big. So I've got to say, compared to a lot of the games here at Collaboratory, yours looks awesome. Like you could look at it and think it's almost a finished product. Um, it looks pretty amazing. You've obviously you. put a lot of work into it. Yeah, yeah, I think. When, you, when you're trying to get that initial reaction from people during a playtest, I try to make the games as nice as I can and as finished as I can with the art and the cards. And I'd probably go too far. <laughs> uh, and it makes like modifying and tweaking those components harder because it takes longer to, to produce again. Yes. Um, but yeah, I've got some 3D printed sliding tiles that I've painted up with varnish on it and nice cards. And I've yeah, made these boxes. Yeah, it's you've got cool. that... Um that forging mechanic yep. so firstly I mean you've got those cool little forging tools I was going to ask you where you got them from clearly you've made them <laughs> yourself which is awesome the mechanic of sliding them into the forge where they're different shapes and they interact together pushing other shapes out the other side that's fascinating I haven't really seen anything like that yeah I actually when I came up with the idea I, you know it's a, there's a five by five tile grid like scrabble shaped kind of tiles pushing a tile from outside in and then whatever pops out the other side you collect and that's your yield and then use those resources to buy forging tools that are a two by one shape and a three by one shape mm. and then when you combine them together it multiplies out the amount of tiles that you can push it so you, you start getting one or two tiles at the start and then by the end you're getting like 10 15 and did you math out like what's the best shape for those forging tools did you try other shapes yeah i, I tried making um Tetris polyomino shapes at the start. Yeah. And then I realised the way that they combined in the 5x5 grid, it didn't really matter. It yeah. all came down to like whether it was a 1x2 or a 1x3 okay. to figure it out. And I had a, um, a four long shape. Yeah. And it was just ridiculous. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I wondered about like a square, what effect pushing in a square might have, for example. It basically didn't affect that push on that turn. Okay. So, um, yeah, I had them originally and then I just thought, ah, it's probably easier to. It's just simplifying it. And this is, again, in the uh, Kingdom of Air <laughs> universe? Yep. Yeah, I you know, made the decision at some point to have a game for each of the houses in that in that world. Um, and how and many there's, houses? There's seven. Oh. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I set myself a challenge. Uh, so this this game, actually, at the start of the year, I was, I was thinking, um, you know, we're a little bit burnt out because we did PAX last year. Yes. We did PAX South. And so we're going to have, I'll have a year off and I'll just have a break and, and get some energy back. And then in between January and June, I probably made five games. Wow. Yeah, so, and this one's got a good response from people. So yeah. The one I, I bought in, I bought down. Look, it looks, it looks fantastic. As I said, it looks like a finished product. It's very unique. So you, you didn't, you went to PAX South? That's the yep. one at, at, that's in Texas? Yeah, that's in San Antonio. Wow. Yeah, Did um, you take got, this game? No, I didn't. I, um, we just took King, King of Air Kingmaker. Yeah. Uh, we took that, we, Probably took about 150 copies for us 
that we could fit in our backpacks yes. in our in our suitcase. I uh, sold out. Fantastic. Got a great response from from our Texas fans. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. Just awesome. It's just okay. super tiring. <laughs> yeah. Back to back conventions. It just yeah, it felt like we needed a break. So. Um, well, look. Congratulations on Kingdom of Aya Kingmaker being an award-nominated game, nominated for a Kanga Award. Excellent. Now, those awards will be announced probably in a couple of weeks, I reckon. Yep, I'm super keen. Uh, I know. I'm really excited. You are punching well above your weight. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm pretty stoked uh, and proud because the two games I'm up against are both great games. Yeah, amazing. Well, congratulations. Um, Can't wait to try this game of yours, and thanks so much for talking with us. All right, thanks for having me. So I'm here at PAX with Phoebe and Ma, who have had amazing success on your booth with Ludo Cherry, the line of fashion outfits featuring gaming motifs. Is that how we express it in fashion terms? Yeah, it clothing inspired by tabletop gaming. Fantastic. So we wanted to create something that was still stylish, but had a little subtle references to, you know, board games and tabletop games without being, you know, a big t-shirt. Like in your face. Really in your face, yeah. Like, yeah, a hoodie with a giant maple on it. Like this. Yeah, like this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we own a lot of them as well, but we thought there was something to be said for, you know, clothes you could wear out to work or wear out you know, to a nice night, and uh, it's still got a little bit of a reference. People who see it will, you know. Seen some of those skirts you have, and they look, they, at first glance, they look like it's polka dot or something like that, and you look closer and you go, oh, that's a die, that's a meatball. Yep. What's the response been like this weekend? It's been absolutely amazing. We've had a lot of people coming up and uh, seeing us at the booth. We just had a really small store at the Tabletop Game Designers Australia booth, Uh, and we've had, you know, people coming up and been really excited to see something so I guess unique that yeah, they haven't seen different. before. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as you said, I mean it, it's not just another t shirt. It's very stylish. Button up shirts mm. and uh, vintage inspired full inspired full uh, circle skirt. And now I uh, hear there's some exciting news coming in the new year. Yeah, so we'll be launching on Kickstarter in February is Fantastic. the plan. Fantastic. Uh, so we don't have an exact date yet, uh, but we're very excited. We've got Manufacturing being sorted out. We've got our first production samples received, and they look amazing. Uh, so they're 100% cotton. They're you know organic, ethically made, sustainably mm-hmm. made. So we're really excited to be working with with that as well. And yeah. did you make the originals yourself? I did. Yeah. So wow. We've got about eight samples um, between Mark's shirts and my skirts that I hand sewed uh, frantically before last pack. <laughs> um, and obviously all the the ones we make will be manufactured and, yeah. and, and everything but uh yeah currently the only ones in existence are the ones we've painstakingly kind of cut out and sewn. wow yeah. look i'm so excited to see how it goes but i know it's going to be successful because it does look fantastic oh, um we will keep posted i'm sure you'll keep us informed but uh congratulations on your success this weekend thank you and, and enjoy your day off at pax will do thank you so much you too Good morning or afternoon or evening to everybody whenever you're listening to this. This is Leon here, your friendly neighbourhood dice man, and it is Sunday, the final day of PAX, and I am here with Adam, who, if you can believe it, is also a fellow Tasmanian. There are more than three of us. How are you going, Adam? Oh, great, thanks, Leon. Your voice is going after three days, though? Yeah, it started with a sore throat, so it's like it's been pretty punishing this time at PAX. Yes, I'd imagine so. Now, the reason I'm talking to you is because you're the man behind the game Rain Absolute which you have designed many years ago and has gone through so many forms to where it is now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, the true origin of uh, Brain Absolute happened in, back in 2001. 
Wow. A, <laughs> that's nearly 20 years ago, brother. That nearly is, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, it was a kind of a, one of those games that you play with when you're bored on the weekend and you all you've got is a couple of uh, decks and normal playing cards and you sort of play around with the idea. Yep. Um, hiatus for maybe 15 years. Ah. And right. then um, we started playing games in the, in the office, board games, and over time we started playing with our own kind of game mechanics. Yep. Um, and that's where Rain Absolute came from. Lovely. So, yeah. And so, it's, yeah, so it's gone through about four or five different versions to kind of where it is now? Yeah. Um, so basically the... The original one yep. is a very simple little card game. Yep. Um, and then we expanded upon that to be incredibly complicated and convoluted and quite yeah. painful game to play. <laughs> um, and then one summer, well, everyone probably remember the summer, but you played um, Splinter Kittens. Yes. And to me, that was a bit of a revelation. It was like, oh, if I did this and I did that and I did that, I could just make this game an incredibly simple little fantasy. Yep. Like a hit, like a hit of fantasy in yep. terms of a quick fantasy fix is what I call it. And obviously, when the game comes out, instead of the box meowing when you open it, it's going to make like a ogre screaming or something yeah, yeah, like that. Exactly. Actually, I mean, it did sell. I'd buy it for that alone. <laughs> anyway, so now you've done this probably seven million times this weekend, but give us the quick thirty second. What is Rain Absolute? Okay, so Rain Absolute is a dip into fantasy, yep. fantasy conquest in terms of perfect game for a warm up or cool down game for games night. Or a lunch club. Yep. Um, basically, two, three, four, five plus players. Um, I kind of say at five plus players, it's probably not the game it should be because someone's going to be ousted yep. and they can be sitting out for 20 minutes. And it also it. moves into longer time, which is not yeah. what you designed it for. You yeah. designed it to be kind of quick and fun. And yeah. 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 And it's quite lucky as well. I call it flux, but it's really just another name for luck. Yep. Um, so there's no, it sort of, it doesn't overwalk the decision-making process so that yep. you can't sit there and kind of like strategize too much about a particular move. Ultimately, there is going to be a strategy or yep. tactical component to it, Yep. but you are not... If you sit there, you will eventually... Yeah, it will slow down the game and everyone will sort of... The mood, the mood will kind of like yeah, slow yep. down too much. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, how can people actually get their hands on a copy of this game? Uh, so, yeah... <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> Loaded question. Uh, at PAX, it's really nice because everyone's like, oh, can we get some of these copies? No, they're just our kind of like our media copies. Yeah. Um, but we've got a Kickstarter campaign launching. It was going to be launching for Essen. Yep. But I had to cancel my trip to Essen for various reasons. Yep, that does happen. Um, we do know you trust us. <laughs> yeah. But so, it, and then following on from that, Christmas and post-Christmas, yeah. no one wants to back a game at that point. No. So basically, we're launching our campaign almost certainly end of March, uh, sorry, end of Feb, yep. early March. That sounds um, like a solid time. Yeah. P people have refilled the coffers after Christmas, yes. so we can go from there. They've got a paycheck or two since yeah. Christmas. Excellent. Now, I had actually a chance to play the game earlier today. I didn't get a chance to play it when I spoke to you at LFG, and I really enjoyed it, so I reckon I'll probably be one of those backers once the campaign gets going. Oops. And um, as I said to you before, since you're a Tasmanian, so that gives you advantage over everyone else in the world, <laughs> when the game actually comes out, we will get you back on the show for a proper full interview, I reckon. Awesome. Thanks, Liam. Excellent. Lots of trouble. So it's rainabsolute.com if you want to look at any more information. And I'd also just intercept you, sorry, Leon. Yeah, that's fine. I just want to make sure that people know it's not spelled like rain like a storm. No, 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 no. It's like rain like a king. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> proper, proper fantasy and whatnot. <laughs> you, you've nailed that down, Pat. All right, cheers, dude. Awesome. Thanks, man. Bye. So it's early Sunday morning. I'm here with Steve Medway of the Pandemonium Institute. Now, that name might not ring too many bells, but you will surely know Blood on the Clock Tower. Been a massive success on Kickstarter. 
Steve, firstly, congratulations. It's been you. a uh, was it was it a big surprise for you how successful you've been? <laughs> um, that's that's a tricky question. I always I, I knew I knew the game was worth it. Yep. Um, from about from about six months into the design process, I knew that we had something really really special, mm-hmm. and I really. <laughs> I did expect some. I, I did expect some huge success. I just didn't expect it quite so quickly. I, yes. thought, I thought we'd have something that grew over several years and over several several years and become a like a cult hit, something yep. like that. Yeah, a bit more organic but, growth. Um, yeah, but the, the Kickstarter the Kickstarter was pretty huge. It was it was more than expected, and uh, the shut up and sit down review really helped. Yes, a lot of we had uh, in addition to that though we had a lot of grassroots support our strategy wasn't to just market the game and get reviews um what i wanted to do it's a, it's a big game there's a lot of players yes when you first come across clock clock tower it doesn't look any different than a lot of a lot of other social production games on the market so our strategy was to set up communities to, yes. to go to conventions and to get a lot of people to actually hand make a copy and find someone who's enthusiastic at a convention and say, yeah, I would love to run games. And we give them a copy and say, you, you go run games. Yeah. A, the, the review was great, but we, we also had a huge amount of people already playing the game, already interested uh, as soon as the Kickstarter hit. So we were pretty sure we were going to fund. Yeah. And then got a nice surprise afterwards. Well, we first interviewed you here uh, two packs ago. Um, I remember we saw you at LFG. And every time we saw you, there were crowds around, you had games, you know, you've always got like 10, 15 people in the game, queues of people to line up. So clearly you were doing something right, right from the start, as you said. Um, shut up and sit down coming on though, obviously help. Did you reach out to those guys or did they find out about it through a friend of a friend or what's the story there? Uh, we were doing conventions and Evan, my production manager, says, all right, we're, we're heading to Essen. Before, hey, Steve, before you head to Essen, head to Shucks. I've heard, I've heard good things about Shucks. Yep. Run some games, see what happens. And then I, I turned up and um, we, we got a really good space. At, we were up the back and out of the way. Yeah. So there was no visibility, but the space was really big. We could branch out and, and relax a bit. Yeah. And we had, we had a couple of great volunteers who talked to Matt and Quinns and a yeah. couple of the organizers and said, hey, if you've got some time, just come and play. So it was about asking and also also providing something for the convention itself. Yes. We weren't selling anything. So big, bigger games are, for example, Two Rooms in the Room. Yes. Uh, and another reason Werewolf is so popular is it sucks players that are looking for something to do all get sucked into these bigger games. Yes. Uh, and word spreads because so many people are playing the bigger games. So it was a, a combination of factors. But the amazing thing about your game, though, compared to that is, look, you know, we've seen 20 and 30 people werewolves but in that when you've got those larger games of that game you're mostly a werewolf or a villager the thing about your game is every single person has their own individual role don't they yeah that's um that's something that i wanted to do from the outset the downside is that if you're a totally new player or if you're a beginner that's going into an advanced edition you look at the character sheet and there's 22 25 roles in there yeah Uh, so (laughs) It's a lot. To, it's a lot to take in all at once. Things are designed so most of the roles you need to know, the player will tell you. Yes. This is my role. This is my ability. Because sharing is incentivized. Yeah. You don't need to know all the characters. The upside is that uh, there's, a, there's a couple of upsides. Every single player has something to do. 
every single player has a, a, a piece of information that cannot win the game alone, but when combined can win the game. So using your character ability to its fullest is half the game. The other half is how you navigate the social dynamics, mm -hmm. how you spread misinformation, even if you're good or evil. Yeah. A lot of the roles have gone through various design iterations to make sure they're as fun as possible. The player has as much agency as possible, but not so much that any one player can win the game. It also means that there's nowhere to hide. So yes. as, soon, as soon as you have generic, as soon as you have a generic role, or even just one character that has multiple multiple characters, it's easy to say, "Oh, I'm this character. Oh, I am too." Yes. In Clock Tower, you you have to take a stand. If the group wants to know who you are and you don't tell them, you're probably so. What, what that means is talk is encouraged, commun communication, sharing, information is encouraged. Yeah, okay. But it also means when you do double up, like for example, you, you claim to be the uh, Raven Keeper and mm -hmm. I claim to be the Raven Keeper. Ah. You know that I'm evil. Yes. I know that you know that I'm evil. Yes. But it's not the end of the world because everybody else doesn't know which one of us is evil. There's a lot more interesting dynamics other than who's good and who's evil. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, we think you're even which character are you. We know you would, but we still don't know which character you are, so there's a lot more opportunities for bluffing and deception and deduction as well. Okay, and now, so you've had your Kickstarter, enormous success. What are your plans from here? A good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, been, we've been doing conventions pretty hard for the last couple of weeks. Yes. And as soon as conventions are done, uh, personally, I'm getting I'm getting back into finalizing the rules design. We are a new company, and this is a Kickstarter. Yeah. Kickstarter used to be a place where things that were half finished or ideas would get funding to get finished. Mm -hmm. It's sort of become a place to fund already designed things. Clock Tower is mostly there, but um, in some of the expanded editions, Bad Moon Rising, Sex and Violence, there's a few characters that need rewording for clarity a few bugs that need, need to be fixed, that type of thing. So okay. my job over the next couple of months is to make sure that's all as smooth as possible to get the to get the art and the graphic design finished. Everything you see is just me with Photoshop <laughs> and no design experience. Yeah. And so I need to, need to be finalizing that with other professionals. And a lot of the expansions as well, because I want, I'd love to have the expansions ready as soon as possible. Because okay. there's, there's a lot of a lot of stuff in the expansions that are just incredible. Yeah. When will the Kickstarter, when will the final product be delivered? Do you have a rough idea? Uh, we'll be doing a Kickstarter update with more details about that soon. Okay. We're aiming for the January. Yeah. Instead of, instead of rushing the January and having all right, six months time, we're like, yeah, yeah. we're doing version two that you now have to buy. I really want to get the, the wordings of the characters and all the, all the bugs fixed so that it's 100% yeah, uh, as soon as possible. So we will be delayed. It won't be a long delay. Yeah. But, um, it's worth doing properly, isn't it? And this is something definitely that people will wait for because they've seen the momentum building. They've seen how much fun people are having around the world with just, as you said, the handmade copies that you've had. I remember seeing it here at PAX two years ago. Yeah. It's this massive sort of felt line box with lots of circles in it. People were still having enormous fun with that. So yeah. I think when they get the final version, it'll be worth the wait. I'm hoping so. There's a, a huge fan base already, but I, I really do want to do it right. Yeah. I want to do it right the first time. Yeah. Uh, the rules are available online via a PDF, and there's also a wiki that is in, again, in desperate need of an update. I'll yes. be getting to that in the next few weeks. So if you do want to um, have a little experiment, uh, you're more than welcome. Welcome to in the meantime. The, with the website where people can find all these things? 
bloodonthepotower.com has a lot of information. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and congratulations again. It's great to see more Aussies just absolutely smashing it out of the park globally with their games, and you guys have certainly done that, so congratulations. Uh, absolutely, thank you. It's, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, and I, I just want to give a shout-out to the other Australian designers that I've met over the last couple of years. I won't name names because other people will get left out, <laughs> but I've really been impressed and surprised. The quality of games design uh, locally. Yes, even though the visuals are yet to be decided. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of fun with local designers and yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to the locals. And there you go, a shout out to the locals. What an absolutely beautiful way to end that. All those lovely interviews we had there at PAX. And isn't it just good to see that when it comes to the designing of these board games that we love so much, Australia is just kicking goals left, right and centre as far as I'm concerned. Well, I was going to say, the sad thing is that I didn't get to talk to all the designers at PAX. No. Um, I did want to give a particular shout out to a group of people. Yep. Uh, I think they were called the Joy Dispensary and they had their game Oompa. Ah, yes. Which was a card game that not only you could play for fun but it also taught you about music, mm. um, scales and all sorts of other musicy stuff. I... They were good enough to talk me through how the game worked. I came back with my audio equipment and they were just swamped by people pretty much all weekend. I think they're taking it to Kickstarter, but they've already got copies they were selling there. Yeah. Um, a couple of people mentioned it to me, so I wanted to give them a shout-out. Yeah, and then there are other people like, uh, like Nathan Everett who of War of Supremacy and mm. um, now his new game Hieroglyphs, which I played at LFG. He was there, chatted to him, great bloke. Didn't get a chance to get back to him with an interview. Uh, Shannon Kelly of Lucidity and Runica fame, who was there for like three days, didn't even see him. Yeah, he was Just tied up in a couple of panels, I think, too. He was very busy. Yeah, well, that's very difficult being so good at their job, these boys. And we did we did hear from last week from, from Alex from the TGDA about the collaboratory and how that went. And that yeah. part of PAX was absolutely buzzing. Mm. But mm. we're going to come back after the break and talk to a man... Who was there, like we were, Yes. in the flesh. He was there on the front lines. Uh, teaching tabletop games. Taking the hits. That's yeah. right. And uh, we're going to hear all about that experience after the break here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hello, hello. Ignacy Trevicek, Portal Games, and you're listening to The Dice Man Comet. Uh, have a great time. You're here with it. I spend cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. That was the cure. And my song to you, Aos, the travelling gamer, why can't I be you as you travel Australia? Right. The, uh, <laughs> the card man has landed. There you yeah. go. Joining the dice man. And, of course, if you play your cards right, well, maybe we just don't let Garth come back. Who knows? Correct. Could be a full <laughs> You've got it. You've got it down pat. Nailed it in one. Now... Leon, obviously, we were at PAX. We were indeed. We were interviewing people. We were also playing some games. Yes. But AOS. Yes. You were there as an official tabletop teacher. It's just there for the prestige. Tabletop <laughs> games to the people who were coming through in their masses. Yes. Now, you, the deal with being a tabletop teacher is. You, so you get a couple of shifts over mm -hmm. the three day event. And you teach people games, essentially. So you select the games and guide people through, or you walk around and see people that are struggling with their game, mm -hmm. or a game that you know how to teach very well, and you offer to teach them a game. And 
PAX, tabletop at PAX has their own area, big, big area sort of towards the back of the hall. They have their own library of games. And so as a, as a, I was going to say a stranger, well, there's no strangers in gaming, we're all friends. Yeah. As a person who sort of visits the, the expo, you can just walk up to the library, browse through, spot a game, take it out and say to a friendly looking person like yourself, Aos, Aos. Could you teach me this game, please? I would love to teach you a game. Yeah? Yes, join me at this table of game teaching goodness. <laughs> and so from what I've seen, there's sort of there's two models. There's the people who go and pick a game and then try and find someone to teach them. And then there's the people who come up to the tables where sometimes the teachers are sitting. They'll have a little flag that says able to teach or looking for yep, players. Game is wanted. And you, you will have selected if you like, a certain number of games that you are happy to teach? Yeah. So there are certain games that different volunteers know better. Mm -hmm. So if somebody was selecting a, a particular game or struggling with a game, we would go and find that particular volunteer on at that time who's teaching that game, would love to teach that game. Well, for instance, our friend Richard, who's at Essen, as we speak, he was one of the teachers there as well, and he is a massive fan of Istanbul, who he taught and played about eight times over the span of the PAX weekend. What were the games that you yourself got to teach people? Well, PAX has got a whole heap of lighter type games. So Planet was a very popular game that they got. We got a heap of donated copies of that, yeah. which is the 12-sided uh, planet that you get with your magnetic different environments that you put on there. and yeah. So that one's very popular. It's very visual and fun. It's only about 25 minutes. Now, we haven't chatted much since we've been back from PAX because we've had all these interviews lined up. But, yes, as you just mentioned, Planet was the game of the con this year in the sense that it was on so many tables. And, again, Richard, I think, said one day... No, it was Bo, I believe. He played that first thing in the morning one day on his shift and he pretty much just sat there and played that non-stop. And it's only a 15, 20-minute game, as you said. And it's a game that um, a lot of people were like, I'd heard of it before going, and then once we got there and saw the five or six copies, and he said it's so tactile, seeing that 3D planet that you can stick stuff on, uh, it was going gangbusters all weekend. And now one of the things I did hear, Aos, and I won't ask you to comment, is that the, because um, we don't want to be controversial here on the Dice Men, but the normally just before packs, you get a big delivery of games into the, to the tabletop library, so you get a whole injection of hotness so that people come in, they can see a lot of the latest games. My understanding, you know, on the grapevine was that didn't quite work this year compared to other years just 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 not yeah, yeah. <laughs> no of course i think the the overarching organizational structure of packs in general which is mainly america yeah. and then australia had a couple of failings in delivering the hot games this yep. year yeah but of course so much fun was had still because it's a quite a huge library but i think that might have taken the gloss a little bit off for those people who come there to see those hot games. But probably those people are quite a small proportion, would you say? Yeah, I'd say most of the people that were there were well, video gamers, to be honest, mm -hmm. or the cosplayers or people that have just come in casually have brought some families in. And most of the interest is in the lighter, quicker, fun games. Mm. But yeah, so things like um, uh, Just One was still going crazy, even though you know that's been out a little while. Secret Hitler was... One of the games, if other than Planet, I think I saw Plim played the most. And yeah. you've got to remember that that's been 
I think it was three or four packs ago when we first got our hands on that. So it's been around a very, very long time, but it's you know it's one of those things that always has a presence. Well, even, I mean, dare I say it, Cards Against Humanity, yeah. you know, a huge amount of copies being played there, huge amount of copies being bought in the retail stores. I think we might have mentioned last week when we talked a little bit about packs, yeah. huge retail presence. And packs. another cool thing about packs as well is that a lot of people will buy games there and then from the retail stores that maybe aren't in the library, come over and play them, or we had a few examples of people that bought games, you know, from internationally or from home and brought them in that weren't there that we got to play. Like, we got to play things like Obscurio, we got to play things like, uh, was it Awkward Guest that just mm. came out? Because people that we knew just said, I've got this, there's not going to be anyone else at the convention that has it, do you want to play it? And we're like, yes, absolutely. So it's just a big, big social gathering event to play whatever you can get your hands on. Um, now, Aos... When you were teaching, and obviously you strike up a, a discussion with the, the players because you're a friendly type of person. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> what were some of the interesting things that you found out about people that had bought them to PAX, do you think? Or people that had brought their own games, you mean? Or, or uh, the reason that those people oh, the, were there. Right, yeah. so I think the, well, the main reason is the video game section. Mm -hmm. So especially once that area closed, we had a big influx of people looking for the after the video game hours events. Uh, yeah, because the video games generally close about, about like six five or six o'clock. Yeah, and most of those stalls shut down. And of course, there's mm. twenty, thirty, forty thousand people buzzing around, going, "What are we going to do now? We're having this amazing time!" Ah! Yeah. And they just pour through into the tabletop area. Yeah. yeah. So I think the people come in for the lighter type of games. It's a very different feel at PAX given to other conventions um, that are more board game focused. So the people that are there. Are what is it? They're more into the casual games, but yeah. also a little more self-sufficient and sometimes not wanting people to, to teach them a game at all, like even wearing the vests and that, and they're like, no, we're, we're good. Yeah, Thank you, you certainly saw a lot of groups that would basically walk in, grab a game out of the library, oh, yeah, we're wanting to try that, and just sit down and go. I know in the past, was it two packs ago where I was a tabletop teacher and, you know, trying to not get people to sit down and pull out the rule book to Arkham Horror right. or Battlestar Galactica or things like that because they think, yeah, great, I haven't had a chance to get my hands on this game before. I'll sit down and teach myself. And there are some games you can sit down and teach yourself. And then there are some games that perhaps you shouldn't sit down and teach yourself. No. Yeah, so one gentleman had got Alchemists out, which is quite a long Ooh. game. I'm like, hey, I would, would you like me to teach you this game? <laughs> I know it quite well. And no, thank you. I'm okay. Okay. And I um, walked past about an hour later, and he was studiously reading the rules again, and then he had a, a group of people, and an hour later they were still referencing yeah. directly from the rules, which... Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes in our hobby... You know, we, we get a bit spoiled because we play lots of games. It sort of it makes it easier for us to pick up games. I think we pick them up fairly quickly. But we forget that there are some groups, some people, that, that for them that would be an activity where they would buy a game, they'd all sit down together, they'd learn it together. It might take them hours and hours and hours, and they might call that fun. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's the same as how, like, Mark, how you've taught us so many games over the years. How you, you sit down there and read the rule book out to us word for, for hours word. and hours and hours. Yeah, except, that's, does. except that that's never happened ever. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess, that you know, people are looking for different experiences. And I, I know gamers have said, what's PAX like? What would I compare it to? What do you, you know, tell me about it, whether it's something that I should come along to as a... Maybe not a hardcore gamer, but as a, you know, as a regular gamer, is it something I should come to? 
Aos, what would you say to that? Yeah, it's there is a little bit of a disconnect between the a board game focused community mm -hmm. or a board game club. So I guess it can be like some board game clubs, like depending how inclusive they are. But there is a bit of a disconnect between some of the players. Um, overall, it's great. Everybody's happy and getting along. But finding someone else to play that game with is a little bit more difficult than other conventions yeah. based on gaming. Although they do have those, as you said, they have those flags where you say yeah. you can say looking for players. So I can go and grab a game from the library, decide this is what I want to play, sit down, put one of those flags and just wait for seats to be filled. Yes, it seemed it's more difficult if you were to grab a game and then walk around with it held high, as people often did, looking for a gamer. Mm -hmm. If you sit down at a table, even if, whether you're a teacher or not, put up the sign and bring out an impressive game with table presence, then people are very, very much start flocking to you, which is very, it's pretty interesting. And even though the tabletop, you know, board gaming mainly our big thing, there was RPG tables that were flat chat yes. absolutely all weekend, and there was also all the um, the board game tournaments that every year they do, things like Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, Catan, and what was that one, King of Tokyo, I think it was? <laughs> And, um, yeah, I, I, oh, I played a bit of King of Tokyo on the final day because I was a bit bored and, you know, won a championship as you do just to uh, sit along my wife's championship that she won a couple of years ago. So while one of us was playing King of Tokyo, the other one was out doing umpteen thousand interviews. Yeah. But that's okay, Leon. Yeah. We'll let that slide. Yeah. Um, now, you said, Aos, beautifully segued, that you, you know, sometimes when you're looking for gamers... Our sponsor, looking for gamers, ah, is uh, yeah. LFG. And just a reminder, LFG Essen Unplugged coming up the 22nd to the 24th of November at the Eastlake Football Club in Griffith ACT. You can get your tickets online. Did you know also, Leon? Yes. LFG Australia also has their own retail presence, uh, an online store mm -hmm. at retail.lfg-oz.com.au. I've used it many a time. As well as their physical store, which is in Cambar Village right. in the ACT. And they also host game nights there. I noticed on their website they have game nights for ladies, they have game nights for LGBTQI and allies, they have all sorts of different game nights there. So it's not just gaming events, it's yeah. not just retail, it's also a community, that's LFG Australia. Yeah, when it comes to people that have sponsored our show, um, obviously Australia, very tight-knit community when it comes to board games, we're over the moon that LFG is going to be a sponsor of ours now for quite some time, because as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the bringing people together, they are the cream of the crop. Fantastic. Well, look, let's take a quick break, we'll come back and find out what... Aos, the travelling gamer, has been up to as he's been travelling around. You're with the Diceman Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hello everyone, it's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Diceman Cometh, just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, Essen Unplugged, and even hopefully early next year, CanCon, where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. 
You won't even notice it, but we certainly do, because unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men cometh proudly brought to you by our good friends at Looking For Games LFG. And that was the Foo Fighters with Wind Up uh, there. It is a tribute to our good friend Trent, who is the world's biggest Foo Fighters fan. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Aos, my friend, you've been travelling all across the length and breadth, mainly the length of Australia in the last couple of weeks or months as it is, and you've been taking all the games and playing all the things with folk. Yes, folk everywhere. Yeah. It's just too hot up there, so yeah. I slowly migrated down, and here I am again. <laughs> and we actually had a bit of an episode, how long ago was our Quiver episode? Maybe like... About, about a month. Yeah, I was going to say four or five weeks, where yeah. we talked about the fact that you have this gaming Quiver, which is this great big long box filled with card games, where you've actually taken them out of the boxes and they're just in like plastic bags heaven forbid so you can fit more in and even in some cases where there are not boards so much but other bits of the games you've reproduced those on bits of paper so you can fold them and and fit more in haven't you so firstly can i ask where did that idea come from i stole it I stole it a lot from other people. so That's right. Nothing um, in the board gaming world is copyrighted. We know that, yeah. so it's fine. Uh, so I, I saw a little bit of it when I was over in the US. I uh, saw a couple of coups there with people with uh, sets. I didn't think too much of it because mm-hmm. I'm generally into the bigger games. And then I saw it again at Bordercon and um, I, yeah, just inspired by Alvin Chan. He had, yeah, beautiful set of games in there that were all, he'd printed out little bands and easy to access and, yeah yeah and one of the things you pride yourself in that i can see is you've got games for like two players three players four players five players six players you've you've got a really good cross-section of games how what's the process you go through to decide what's what's going to be included and what's not right so i take the bad ones <laughs> and i throw them away <laughs> lovely and i set them on fire and burn them no i um yeah it's just I look at the cross-section of games I'm, I'm after at the moment. I, I do love heavy, big board games yeah. too, if you're listening out there, um, more so in general. But of all the card games, I'm, if I can get something across all the genres that plays at different player counts, then I think that'll be a big success for me. Yeah, and you've recently, I mean, not only do you have the ones in your quiver, but you've been purchasing a few lately, and you pulled out last night. There was you, Aos, uh, I, Mark, and Trent... It sounds like it's more than three people, but it's actually only three. Well, the way you um, said it like that, yes. yes. that's right. And we had played another game, and then we had a bit of time to kill at the end of the night, and it was like, oh, there's three of us. There's not a lot of games that play really well for three. And then you pulled out... Chimera. Chimera, or another pronunciation of the same word, because I'm not sure. And we went, oh, it's sort of like teach you, but it's... Only for three, like it only plays three players. Yeah. How brilliant was that, that you had an only three-player card game? Well, it was our my first time playing it as well, recommended from a, a friend who enjoyed it. I, I was turned off by the fact that it was like teaching. Okay. But then when a friend of mine who enjoys similar games recommended it, we... Uh, yeah, cracked it open, and the the fact that each round that it'll be two people against the one uh, chimera with a different scoring 
each round is um yeah it's very fascinating dynamic too and really good three player game. That's right. I I haven't played teacher myself, um so I can't sort of describe how similar they are. Have you played much teacher? I have only played once. And, and did you find th- no, many similarities? Still don't understand what happened. Yeah, <laughs> but it, I guess it's one of those ladder games where you know you've you've got to follow. Not suit, but you've got to follow the same sort of thing. So pairs with pairs or triplets with triplets. or And then you've got a very limited number of cards that can sort of override everything. Yeah, bombs and, or and traps teams. or whatever. And, and you're playing in teams. But this is where a person bids and then the other two basically, whoever wins the bid, the other two people are the team. Yeah, the other two become the hunters. The person who bids the highest is the Chimera trying to yeah be the first person out of their cards. Yeah. Now, oh, sorry... No, that's fine. You um, continue. As you said, you are more traditionally a heavy gamer. So, travelling the land with the quiver over your shoulder, how do you get your heavy game experience? Right. Well, fortunately, as I've been travelling around visiting board gamers, uh, trading in my, my wares or my, <laughs> my skills for accommodation, um, yeah, everybody's got a different taste about what they've got, but they're often into games and they've got all of the recent Kickstarters of a particular genre. So I've been trying all different tastes of, of everybody. Yeah, and, you know, for those who don't know you, you hearken originally from, do you call it far north Queensland in town? Sort of Townsville, basically. Yeah. And But you travel pretty much every year to BorderCon. We have interviewed you, in fact, when you have been to the Gathering of Friends, that amazing invite-only uh, convention that Alan Moon hosts. You've it's, been to that a few okay. times? Yeah. It's okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were telling me in the car as we drove here how you were involved in playtesting um, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 with Rob Davio and you played through the whole 12 games before you really... and you didn't really know what it was going to be. Yeah, so we... we signed up and then signed a NDA so that we couldn't talk about it so much. But, yeah, that was it was amazing. That would be a freaky... Look, I'd love to sit here and just drill your brain and drain everything out from... Oh, that sounds fun. From, from that experience. But, yeah, be, I guess because you have travelled to those conventions and packs and everything else, you, like us in a way, you've created this network of friends around Australia in board gamers. So when you say, hey, I might like to take a trip to Sydney, you know you've got people there you can get in touch with. Yeah. Going to a convention, you have a great experience, it becomes addictive, you make some friends, you want to see them again, and then you meet more friends, and the more people you meet, the less people you get to play games with, with which sucks. <laughs> it's, it's so addictive yes. once, you, once you get in. It's the community and how um, helpful everybody is, is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I'm, I met you, it must be... Seven years ago, maybe now, the first BorderCon that like Trent and I went to, yeah, and immediately struck up a friendship with you and some other people. Played lots of games, and sometimes you know you feel like oh, you only ever see people that once a year, but it's amazing how quickly that that friendship go- grows. And to me, it's one of the amazing things about our hobby, how it brings people together, often from very disparate backgrounds around a game where we all have fun and then sometimes you know the game it breaks down little barriers you learn a little bit about people and their lives and then they go away back to their lives but you you coming back together again on a regular basis you really grow quite close Aos. yeah yeah exactly i my board gaming friends are yeah 
that is where I stay and that's where I hang out and it's who I miss when I travel. The more I travel, the more I want to travel back to where I came from yeah. as well. So it's an endless circle that I can, you know, hopefully just do forever. You're right. We are the best of people. <laughs> that's for sure. And look, um, we're almost out of time, but what is something you've played recently that you didn't expect to play, but because of the taste of the people you've stayed with, you've you've tried it and maybe you've liked it. Uh, I played Horrified recently at Leon's place with Leon and Sarah. Yes. I, I was horrified to hear about it, actually. Mm. <laughs> what, that you didn't get a chance to play it? No, 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 no. But I heard, I heard it was good, is that right? Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. It's not my style of game um, thematically, but, yeah, it was very thematic and... Yeah. Very good. And tonight we're about to go play a game where we get to yell at each other for an hour, which is not really AOS's thing either because he's more, he's more of a nice kind of fella. <laughs> but no, we're going to play uh, Dragon Scales, which is a game about just doing horrible things to each other and killing a dragon in the process. There you go. So all that fun and more. Look, AOS, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy travelling gamer schedule to pop in here to the Edge Radio studios and be with us. We love having you around. I mean, obviously our, our friends know that because you've come down a couple of times. We've Almost every night you were here, we hook up some sort of game schedule and sometimes during the days as well. But we really appreciate you taking the time to come into the studio with us tonight. Ah, it's a, it's a pleasure. Love playing games. I love being down here. Love Tasmanian Hobart. Yeah. Um, so, with thanks to LFG, uh, remember their SN Unplugged coming on the 22nd to the 24th of November and their other events. Yes. You can check it out on their website, lfg-oz.com.au. We are off for another week. Next week, we're going to be back with our final PAX interviews. Yes, and we might actually do a actual what we've been playing about yeah. something just for a change. A proper episode, maybe. Yes. But um, until then, we've been the Dice Men Cometh, and you will have a lovely week, I'm sure. Play lots of games, and we'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. This has been an edit of The Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.